It's part two. <laughs> Uh, deconstructing in instrumental cues on TV, on Taxi TV Live. All right, I don't know why the bandwidth was just jumping all over the place and knocked us off the air, but I set it to a lower bandwidth setting, so hopefully everybody has uh, fired their browsers back up. Okay. Alex Fox says, I haven't signed on a while. Feels like I'm the goocher. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it wasn't you that knocked us off the air. Uh, all right. Are you guys, am I, am I back? Am I back on the air? Okay. All right, back on the air. So as I was saying, uh, I'm going to reiterate from the top that the purpose of a cue, its job is to support or amplify a mood. It could set a place like a French cafe in Paris, could set an era like, you know, psychedelic rock era. Um, it, it could be, uh, it's there to support the storyline. As I mentioned earlier, before we got knocked off the air, that you wouldn't use a heavy metal song in a coming of age love story with a couple of you know 17 year olds. It just probably wouldn't fit unless they walked into a metal club or something. So I, I reached out to Keith LeBron, uh, Russell Landwehr and Andy Gabrish and asked them to send me some cues. What I was hoping to find was that they would use common forms, just like uh, song forms are typically intro, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, and out for most pop songs, not everything. Uh, and and I, I've noticed that a lot of cues that I've heard here in the office are kind of structured mainly in A section. Sometimes they toggle back and forth between an A and a B section. Um, but I didn't get a lot of commonality from the boys. But I went to Dean Crepain's book, Demystifying the Cue by Dean Crepain, one of our longtime members who is beloved by all. And I'm going to read you this chapter called Anatomy of a Redneck Track. Today I'm going to write and record a redneck southern rock track. Why? It's for a show called Duck Dynasty on A&E, which been, has been using a lot of my music lately. I thought I'd jot down my process so, so you can compare it with yours. Maybe we can both learn something. Note, this is not the only process of working I use, but today, or but it is my process today. So he starts at 1.15 p.m. I just entered my studio. I'm now turning on all of my stuff and opening up my DAW. I'll queue up a couple of audio tracks and add an EQ plugin just to be ready in case inspiration strikes quickly. I'm also opening up uh, a few MIDI tracks and loading an old piece of music software called Sample Tank. I'm using Sample Tank software because if I, if I find a cool guitar riff idea, I may want to add some quick drums to play my riff to, and I'm really fast at getting drum sounds out of Sample Tank. Sometimes it helps me play better guitar when I have an actual drum beat rather than just a click track to be inspired by. So I've grabbed my Fender Strat off its stand. I'm running it through a pod, which is a Line 6 device, into my board, then out of the board into my DAW. My first order of business is to simply start playing around with southern rock-type uh, guitar licks and hope that lightning strikes. Then at 3.15 p.m., two hours later, so he's you know got, getting a setup together, which I'm guessing took him 15, 20 minutes maybe, because um, he certainly sounds familiar with it, and then was screwing around getting different sounding uh, tracks or licks. I finally found a rock and guitar riff. 
uh, riff, and after laying down a kick drum for on the floor at 144 BPM, I've recorded two tracks of the riff on different amp settings for wider frequency response so that I can pan the guitar both left and right. Uh, although I'm hearing a Jerry Lee Lewis banging piano part in my head, I'm going to put down a basic hi-hat and snare before I head over to the keys. Um, I've decided to stick with the kick I already have and add a sample tank hi-hat for the snare I've loaded Easy Drummer's Nashville kit. I'm also putting in some Easy uh, slash Nashville toms. Uh, it's starting to sound pretty rocking, so I think I might be on the right path. The cue is only a minute and six seconds in length. If I need more length, I'll just loop the whole thing, copy and paste it to two minutes and 12 seconds. I'm going to try and crank this track out quickly, so I'm staying on sample tank and adding its KW and P bass, uh, KW piano and key bass. Bam, done, coolness, they both rock. At 4.30, it's grooving right along, it feels pretty tight. Uh, I'm now going to slam down a B3 organ part as well as some crashes and listen and evaluate what ear candy I might need. There's that phrase ear candy that we use all the time in our listings. Those are just little pieces of, it could be an extra riff, it could be a cool rhythmic thing, just like little hooks throughout the, the song or the, in this case, instrumental track. Um, let's see, uh, right now this cue is just screaming for a bar fight TV scene or a four-wheel truck racing through a muddy field scene. After getting a solid B3 part and putting the cymbal crashes in their proper, proper places, I'm now listening to what I have and tweaking the mix. Notice that I'm mixing as I go. Not always my MO, but I'm going for speed today. My gut reaction upon first listen is that this song could use a blues harp, a harmonica at the intro, and maybe a chugging blues harp throughout uh, the whole thing to help give it an even more, more of a southern rock redneck attitude. Uh, I think it all also may need a dirty lead guitar riff in the B section for color and lift. Um, so I'm going to truncate some of this. Man, I'm pretty close to the end. Um, now recording at 5.30, the harmonica up close into an SM58. Sounds good, like a dirty bar band harmonica. After adding the B section guitar riff, I'm ready, riff. Uh, I'm ready to tweak the mix. Okay, so moving right along. He's only been working on this thing for like four hours. Sounds pretty cool. There are no holes to fill and it draws you into that southern rock redneck feel right from beat one. Very, very important that an instrumental piece or instrumental cue identifies what it is to the listener without them having to even think about it right from the get-go. This is good. I'll now run the whole mix through Ozone 3's CD mastering setting, tweaking it a bit, then print off an MP3 192 file so I can listen to it tomorrow on a couple of systems and see if I'm there mix-wise. Think it's pretty much done. It's six o'clock p.m. that same day. Yep, the cue's in the can, pending tomorrow's double check. I think I'll go make a sandwich. Good for you, Dean. Um, note, the writing and recording of this track went very fast. Um, it took just a little under five hours to complete. There are several reasons for this. First of all, it was very, a very simple piece of music to construct. The whole composition was based around a guitar riff and a simple one, four, five chord progression. There's that word simple again. The instrumentation too is simple. There's that word simple yet again. Bass, drums, and guitars, and keyboards with a harmonica added. In addition, I spent zero time searching for sounds. I knew exactly what drum, bass, and keyboard, and guitar samples I was going to use because I've recorded the style of music dozens of times before. Lastly, the track was only a minute and six seconds in length. Had I recorded a full two or three minute track, I could have easily added a couple more hours to my recording time. On average, I can usually record a track 
in a style I'm familiar with in four to six hours. Some take eight to 10. If I'm writing a vocal song, it can take weeks to find all the best lyrics. Uh, the important thing is not the amount of time it takes to record a song. The important thing is that it sounds really good when you're finished. This one sounded pretty greasy, just like a rowdy redneck bar band song should. Yay. So, nice description um, of how a session goes. And you notice he didn't talk much about the composition, because it was all based around the riff. Okay? So, I think I've covered, oh, simplicity versus showing how talented you are. I'm telling you. Watch, go turn on Fusion TV, it's a cable channel, turn on Viceland, which has now replaced uh, H2, um, and, and just watch. It, I spent probably 10 to 12 hours this weekend watching shows and doing nothing but trying really hard to forget the show and listen to the music. I was shocked how many cues I heard that were nothing more, in some cases, than a drum beat or a beat with a little percussion. You know, uh, somebody goes to visit a tribe in Africa. It's like, you know, a log drum thing with maybe a shaker over it. And it works in the context of the show. Um, sometimes something could just be, a, you know, like a slide on electric guitar that's just kind of going, kind of an edgy thing but it works in the context of the scene. The reflex might be, what else can I put on there that'll make it sound really cool? What else can I add? Always be thinking about what your piece will do to support the mood, the texture, the feeling, the smell, the visuals in the scene. Those are all the things that your music is there to support and enhance. Um, okay, so let's start out Let me get my sheets together here and the first thing that we are going to listen to is from Keith, Keith LeBrant. LeBrant, dear goodness. Um, Keith, if you're watching the show, type in the pronunciation of your name. Is it aunt or aunt? And we're going to hear one called To the Top. And in his notes, Keith says um, that this is, whoops, uh, Typical A slash BQ with breakdowns and edit points. So I'm going to watch the timings and try and give you guys some edit points when I can um, to let you hear what those feel like. And here we go to the top. A section. Edit point. B section. Coming up to an A section with a little variation.
section with the tom breakdown. That was a repetition with an edit point. Back to the A section. Now it's double time. Back to the A section, but with less lead guitar. Now it's going to roll out to the end, which is going to be a stinger. I almost drowned the audience there. <laughs> uh, so did that work okay with me talking over and giving you guys some uh, cues uh, as to when things happen? Um, Audio Painter's asking, when building a track, uh, are we to add a new sound or layer on a time clock or the way the piece feels? On the way the piece feels, there is no specific timing like it. You know, 43 seconds, you better add a new section or bring in another guitar every few bars. But you should map out how many bars. In most cases, it's going to be even numbered chunks of bars. But in a couple of examples today, you'll see that there are a couple of odd numbered ones. Um, all right, so the gang is saying it worked. Uh, worked well with me talking over it. Cool. Anyway, nice piece, Keith. Um, he's a great guitar player and a great human being, I might add, as are all these guys. They are all people that I consider friends and really, really proud to have them as taxi members. All right, so now we are going on to move on to one called Victory for You and Me. This was used in an NFL football playoff game last year. Because several of the cues that I'm going to be playing today are already signed with publishers, if not many or most of them, I'm suspecting that once I put this up as an archive, archive version on YouTube, they may mute it. But the archive will be up on um, Ustream as well. So we've got a little backup there. All right, so this one again is a typical ABQ with breakdowns and edit points. Um, and he says from zero to 0 0.032 it goes right into the main theme two times and then it I think he's got an extra zero in that 33 seconds to 46 seconds it breaks down with a pattern focused on drum toms and less guitar so here we go this is called victory for you and me
going to be a nice edit point at the end of this. Edit point coming up. So you can pick it up on the chunka chunka if you were an editor. So he's repeating the main theme again. And in 10 seconds, we're going to a double time ending that'll end with a stinger. So, pretty self-explanatory, very simple. I mean, really well executed. Um, the tempo was driving, the guitar parts were driving. Simple, but catchy guitar parts, right? Simple, but catchy drum parts. Um, but you can absolutely being, uh, imagine that being used in an NFL highlight thing. Um, it was used in a playoff game. Not bad, Keith. Um, what else do I want to tell you about that? Oh. Sometimes people ask me, what's the difference between um, a button ending, which we call buttoned around here in the context of writing listings, and a stinger? Um, to the best of my knowledge, and I could be wrong, but I think I'm right, a button just means it's a hard ending, uh, usually going back to the root note, root chord, and hitting on the downbeat, and then just rings out. Now, the same thing is true of a stinger. Um, also ends on the beat and almost always goes back to the root, but a stinger um, somehow has more pizzazz to it is the best way I can explain it to you. It, it kind of, a button could be um, a solo piano piece that just ends on that root, right? And on the beat, uh, on the downbeat. That's a button. When it's got electronic stuff, guitars, it's faster. Usually that's more like a stinger. A stinger can be edited. You can take that ending all by itself, maybe the three or four notes leading up to it, and just cut that tail off. And that could be used as a transition, like a, for a bumper or something, where they're going from scene to scene, or they're coming back in from a commercial, or going out to a commercial, or going from a talking head to a highlight thing, or vice versa. So. Um, a stinger is more likely to be, uh, while they both end on the downbeat and they both go back usually to the root chord, or the tonic as some people like to call it, then the stinger can stand alone on its own to be like an emphatic exclamation point to take you to something else, okay? I guess you could technically do that with a piano chord um, or acoustic guitar strum, but 
more likely that it's going to be something big and rocked out or electronic and dancey or something like that. So hopefully I got that right. Um, isn't a stinger normally a single extra note at the end of a short pause? Um, I don't know. Honestly, maybe. Um, maybe somebody who knows more about that than I uh, could answer that question. Um, C.D. Bernal says, could be a big orchestral hit. That's true. Vicky says a stinger is like a crash bang. <laughs> uh, yeah, a button can be sustained but not faded. Yeah, neither of them fades. That much I'm certain about. Um, All right, so let's move on. Now we're going to go to one called Ready the Hammer. This is an example of using one theme, just an A section, and adding parts throughout the piece. So let's have a listen to Ready the Hammer. It's got a 15 second intro. So you could use the intro as a standalone if you were an editor. That's guitar and violins. We're coming up to four on the floor. There we go, four on the floor, kick drum. Good edit point. So now we're back at the theme again, but he's added a couple of guitars a little bit to give it a little more balls. And that was the stinger. Uh, there you go. Although it's tough to hear production quality. Uh, yeah, uh, we, you know, I couldn't talk over it. Uh, there's just too much technology involved for me to play it off of Ustream. I have to preload the tracks and then it mutes the microphone, then you get feedback, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, that's why I do it this way and it works pretty well. And this show isn't about fidelity. Trust me when I tell you that these guys all know what master quality or broadcast quality, I mean, should sound like. I'm positive of that. Um, Andy Gabrish uh, remarks on his friend's work saying, great economy of, uh, where did it go? Uh, great economy of ideas for the theme, one chord. Yeah, see, that really underscores my point that uh, it's not about being a virtuoso. A virtuoso in this world is somebody that understands how this stuff is used well. Okay, uh, I'm going to skip to one called Digital Darkness. Uh, and this one, he says, is an example of building up on one theme. 
Um, it's got an A section that goes on for 38 seconds, then at 39 seconds it does a breakdown, which is the B section, then goes back to the main riff, then goes to a bass breakdown, main riff that builds throughout, and then ends with a stinger ending. So this one looks like it, it, it's kind of in what I would call the classic um, Q form, okay? And let's go, this is called Digital Darkness. Main riff, with the lead guitar added, so this is still on the A section. Now he's added a synth. And breakdown. I lied. Breakdown coming up in a mark. Bar. Notice that every time it goes around the block that it comes back with something a little more interesting but still on the same theme. And there's that stinger. I want to go back and play you something. Um, let's see if I can find that spot. A little further back. Listen to the little figure that happens right before the breakdown. I'll try and count you into it. right around here. It just changed the the melody, just a just change that up just a little bit, but that sends a subtle signal. Something different's gonna happen. So easy, but he knows to do it. Instinctively, Keith knows to do that stuff. And that's the difference between maybe a good cue and an excellent cue is just knowing that little pieces or little bits of salt and pepper like that make it interesting. Um, somebody must have asked Keith, who's in the chat room now, hey Keith, uh, what genre that was. And he says, electronic rock, Nine Inch Nails-ish. Ish. <laughs> Dean's in the house. Yo, dude. 
did I reference the book already? Yes, I did. Uh, I read a whole chapter. I don't know if you were in the watching the show or not. Uh, okay. So I may go back if I have time at the end and play number four from Keith. Um, I will try and get back to that one. I just want to make sure that I have enough time to play a range of stuff. So now, um, let's move on to Mr. Russell Landwehr. I don't know if Russell is in the house or not. Um, a lot of times he listens to the show while driving home um, from work. Yeah, if you guys don't have this book, buy this book. Uh, okay, so now we are on to Russell Landwehr, who hails from Ohio. Um, and the first song, which brilliant, brilliant, brilliant title is called Batik Taxi. It's world music uh, from Russell, uh, co-authored by Stuart Cardell, who's also a taxi member. And the structure is A-A-A-B-A. -A -A -A. Um, intro is two measures, by the way. I don't think I've mentioned that yet for those of you who haven't known me or been around taxi for a long time. Intros should almost always be short. Uh, if, you know, again, if you're gonna do a tour de force intro that's gonna last 35, 45 seconds, they're gonna think, the editor is gonna think that's what the whole cue sounds like and they may not like it for what they're, they need music for and skip over it and go to the next guy's thing. Whereas if the intro is really short um, and you know in 10 seconds you're into the main body of the piece, then they know what it is they've got. And they may keep the intro because the picture lets them do that. They may cut on the downbeat of the A section after the intro and just start it right there. Also, as you're listening to these things, remember, it's extremely rare that somebody uses an entire cue. So think of each one of these sections as usable on its own or usable from that point forward. So we could go into a B section like Keith's last piece did, and you could start on the downbeat of the B section, which may run for, I don't know, 12 or 15 seconds. Um, because that may work with the mood or the action or whatever is going on in the scene that needs to be supported. And then, boom, the editor's able to time it out so that the downbeat of going back into the A section, which is the main theme, um, times out perfectly with a, a scene change, um, you know, or just a cut within that, an edit within that scene. So all these things are possibilities. But again, it's extremely rare that they're going to start a cue on the first note of the intro and let it run all the way out to the stinger. Okay, so this is Batik Taxi, World Music by Russell Landwehr and Stuart Cardell. Here we go. this one uh, by the way this one uses six bars of the motif so we're now in a section two 
Same motif, right? Not rocket science, but it works. It works well. Made it a little interesting by putting in the wabba wabba. And we're coming up on A section three, which will be a variant, obviously, of the A section again. Introduces a new instrument to keep it forward moving, something you read a lot in the listings. And still in an A section. Coming up to the B section, which is an alternate melody on a single chord. Does it get any more simple? But you know, it never got boring. He always held our interest because he was adding little things, introducing things every six bars. Makes perfect sense. When you hear it and you're aware of it, you go, wow, I get it. Now again, they wouldn't necessarily, probably wouldn't even use this whole thing in its entirety. But if they chose to, it does move you along a path. Um, <laughs> Keith says to Russell, sounding good. Russell just needs a ripping guitar solo. <laughs> I think I saw something flying by saying Stuart was not in this. I don't know. It says Stuart on here. On the sheet that I've got, it says Stuart. All right. Now we're moving on to another one, which is called Bendita Holiday. This is Latin with horns by another taxi member, Matt Vanderbow, and percussion and vibes by Carrie Kennard, uh, and everything else by Lus Russell Landwer. Um, okay, so structure for this one, um, he doesn't have A, B on this one. He's using uh, intro, I, V for verse, P, C, pre-chorus, then a chorus, then a verse, then a pre-chorus, then a verse, then a chorus, chorus. So this one is a little more like typical song structure. Uh, in that it's got a pre-chorus in there, which is slightly unusual for instrumentals. doesn't have a bridge, so it doesn't go like full on into song form. Um, he says the structure in this is out of the ordinary and really hard to define. Well, thank you for <laughs> messing up my show, dude. Now, I'm sure it'll be great. Um, this one's just added to the catalog uh, of an exclusive music library from a taxi forward forwarding it to you for your fair use consideration. Well, let's see if those uh, YouTube bots consider it fair use or not. Uh, Ustream should be cool with it. So once again, this is Bendita Holiday. So this is starting, the intro is eight measures of the C section.
coming up to the pre-chorus. There's the pre-chorus. Should be. Back to the A section again, and what he calls verse two. Great edit point. Three chorus section. Some of this stuff's not lining up with the numbers. Another thing that popped into my head as I was listening to that, um, as it went on, the sections got more layered, more stuff was brought in, it became more intense, okay? Uh, so an editor or music soup could hear this and go, yeah, you know, I like what that's doing. I, I think that the, the genre, the feel, the melody are all good, but gee, I wish it was a little more driving or a little more intense or a little bigger or a little edgier, a little something they know that most good TV cue composers um, are, are going to build things as they go. So they will literally look at the waveform um, and go, okay, yeah, I can see that two-thirds of the way down the waveform, that looks bigger. There's more amplitude in the waveform. They'll just go right down there and go, yep, there it is. This is bigger, ballsier, more edgy, whatever it is they're looking for. So that way they don't sit there and listen through the whole thing. They can just simply look at the waveform. Uh, and you know what? Um, I'm going to call that one, uh, one of the things I wanted to point out today was the difference between an instrumental and a cue. Um, cues are instrumental, um, but a cue is usually structured a little differently. Um, and because this one had a pre-chorus in it, uh, it's got an intro, a verse, a pre-chorus, and a chorus, I'm going to say that this one was laid out more like an instrumental, and generally speaking, I'm sure none of these things are 100% all the time, generally speaking, an instrumental is laid out a little more akin to a song, um, where a cue is usually just an A section or toggles back and forth between an A and a B section. So usually when you get into a C section, um, and it's longer, this one's over two minutes, it, I would say this one is laid out more like an instrumental versus an instrumental cue, all right? Um, sometimes they'll ask, a, the, the listing parties will ask us for, you know, like a, a country instrumental cue. Basically what they're looking for, by the way, is something that is like a country song, but without a vocal. 
And oftentimes, I'm sure I've mentioned this on the show before, but for the newbies in the audience, if you pop the vocal out and you are just listening to, um, you know, the production minus the vocal, mix minus vocal, sometimes it sounds empty. It sounds like a rhythm track. But if you were to take a piano part or a clarinet part, or well, that wouldn't work that well in country, but you know what I'm saying. Try and drop in a melody instrument to do what the lyric melody used to be. It's probably going to sound a little cheesy. So the way you can bring melody back in without sounding cheesy is just cut the notes down. Um, maybe just hit the first note on the downbeat of each section where the melody would have been in the vocal. That way it brings something to it that makes it feel a little more complete, a little more whole, but it doesn't sound like bad elevator music, which frequently when you try and add an entire, um, you know, uh, lyric melody back in with a piano or something, it sounds like a, an old Ferranti and Teicher uh, record or something like that. People are going, Ferranti and who? You gotta be really old to know this stuff. Um, sparse melody yep more cowbell yeah we every episode's got more cowbell going on in the chat room couldn't have an episode of taxi tv without more cowbell half notes whole notes yeah um nope uh the show i'm seeing no red on my screen so should the bandwidth is good on our end all right um so now i'm looking what should i go to next I am going to go so this one no, I'm not going to go with another instrumental I'm going to go with another cue this one is called I Have Family um, also by Russell Landwehr um, and he says the structure is mostly one long A section although he does cop to having a, a 12 measure B section that sneaks back into the A section with seven more measures so that should be interesting um, and the measure counts are four four two the interesting in the a section the measure counts are six five four and four interesting i can't wait to hear this one so let's make sense of this um, and again this is russell land we're doing i have family I'm guessing, no, that wasn't that one. Um, we may be off on our numbers here. Let's go up to number 10. No. Hmm. Did I miss a number? Eight, nine. Anyway, this is I Have Family.
Oops, sorry, cut it off a tad early there. Um, that was actually a good example of an ending that I would call a button ending um, versus a stinger. Um, but what's interesting about that is it just goes to show that thing was interesting from top to bottom. It never lost your attention. Uh, it kept feeling like it was moving forward. And it was basically one figure, right? So, um, you know, that's kind of an... Uh, in an editor's sweet spot, I would imagine, if they had a long scene. Um, trying to think of a scene that would be good for um, somebody heading out on the road, you know, and there's one of those helicopter shots, you know, down on the car, they're in a convertible, and they're heading down the road, and then eventually the car pulls off into the horizon out of the field of view. Um, that could be good for that. Um, and it just stays on one thing, but it doesn't lose you. And remember, it really isn't the focus of the scene. It's just supposed to give the scene continuity and support maybe the freedom of being out on the open road and the lightness of that. And it's pleasurable, all of which that music conveyed. So uh, Polly said, good for insurance commercials, depending if you're getting a check or you're not. <laughs> By the way, uh, I don't know which insurance company, obviously bad branding on their part. Uh, the the uh, Liberty, is it Liberty Mutual? The one uh, where all the people are interviewed um, with the Statue of Liberty off in, in the background. And they've used like eight different actors over a period of a year and a half now talking about uh, their insurance policies and how they don't pay up and, you know, little dent, blah, blah, blah. Enough already. We're tired of seeing people stand in the same damn place for every commercial. We've had enough. Stop it now. Um, Mojo Bone says, so much more depends on uh, mating to picture more than... Um, cool cue. I want to try to make one of those. Um, arpeggios. Liberty Mutual, yep. Um, all right. So, great piece not rocket science and I'm not you know minimizing uh, Russell's talent his talent though is understanding the format and what works versus what doesn't um, all right so my numbers are a little screwed up on my sheet I think I don't know how I did that but I did um, I think Bree's got it right on her so now maybe the reverse plastic Plastic Hanky Panky is scientific tech underscore, and this says it's Q number seven, but I think we played Q seven already. Maybe not. Is this Plastic Hanky Panky? I think it might be. Okay, so this is a, a scientific tech underscore piece. Edit point. Now we're into the B section, which goes on for eight measures. Can't you imagine this being used on how they make, how, what's that show called, how they make that? 
Now we should be going back to the A section. Yep. Coming up to an edit point. Man, I've heard that synthesizer before on that show. Sound very scientific, right? How it's made. Again, really simple, but really well executed. Uh, it does exactly what it's supposed to do. You could let that one, and on how it's made, they generally will run with a cue from top to bottom. Um, sometimes they'll loop them and let them go forever. Um, the editors, I think, have it fairly easy on that show. So I, I just think that's perfect for that kind of show. Um, adding instrumentation as it progressed, but yet it never felt like it would overtake the picture. Um, have all these cues been placed? I do not know, but I mean, they're certainly all usable. Uh, every one of them is definitely usable. I'm telling you, the more I listen, um, I've noticed different networks have a little different signature. Sometimes it's like a production signature, a sonic signature. Um, maybe the editors like a certain type of thing. Maybe there's some sort of dictum coming down from the music supervisor who oversees the editors on certain reality shows. Um, I've noticed a lot of stuff on Fusion and Vice. Uh, while their shows are somewhat similar, Vice tends to be edgier. And I've noticed that the music uh, on, on Vice is a little, slightly more raggedy and a little edgier. And they, they clearly are not looking for perfection as much as they're looking for something that lays nicely on the picture. Um, but the sonic and production and melodic, uh, you know, all these things come together in a stew that just works a, a little better for their stuff. Uh, and, and again, some of the shows on Fusion and Vice are similar, but the stuff on Vice is a little grittier and a little sweatier sometimes, um, a little edgier. The stuff on Fusion may have a little more tension in it. But do that this coming weekend. Spend like three hours watching Fusion and then three hours watching Vice and look for scenes or shows that are somewhat similar, like in that docu-series vibe. And, uh, and just notice the differences are subtle, but they the type of music they're using for each of those shows on each of those networks is really a little different than the other one, even though there are similarities between among the shows. It's interesting. I'm learning a lot. I like learning. It's a good thing. All right, uh, moving on now. Let's find Red Leather Lounge, which is supposed to be number six. Let's see. So this is a trip hop lounge piece by Russell. Um, structure is ABA, 
no set of four measures will be exactly the same. it already oh shoot which one is this my numbers are all screwed up I've got two sheets and the numbers are not right on either of them I don't think. all right I'm gonna kill this one uh, is it in fact not red leather lounge trip off lounge where did I go wrong Killing it. Um, yeah, I played Batik Taxi. Is this Batik Taxi? I give up. Russell, put your dinner down. Get back in the chat room. Tell me what the hell's going on here. All right. Uh, I really don't know. Oh, it was red, but you called it something else last time. Ah, okay. Well, the numbers are way off. Yeah, uh, I don't know what's what anymore. So you guys are going to have to pay attention and tell me what the hell it is that I'm playing. Um, all right, so now I am moving on to, we'll come back and try and figure this out. Um, I'm looking for something by Andy Gabrish, which is called Rebel Hypnospark, uh, with Juliet Lyons, who's a taxi member, and Andy working together on this one. This should be track 12. Okay, so what do we know about this one? Um, this one has been played several times, both as a vocal and instrumental versions. Uh, I don't know that, uh, I'm not sure if Juliet co-wrote this one or if she is the singer on it, but we're gonna hear the instrumental, I believe. Um, it's been on True TV, CBS promos, he thinks, and in Bravo and uh, Vanderpump Rules. It's electro pop rock, it's two minutes, 17 seconds long. Um, the form, the A section, yeah, it's all A, B, A, B. Um, all right, let's have a listen and hopefully the number's right. This one is Rebel Hypnospark. Please tell me if I'm wrong, Andy.
main section. Drums uh, go down to just the kick drum only. And now we're coming up on a marching uh, pattern for the snare. We're going to come up to a one-bar space. So you can start it right there. Coming back to the marching snare. Oh, that was a marching snare. I'm lost. Back in the A section. Okay, we should be coming up to the B section with a breakdown. Again, not rocket science, but it really works well, right? Um, I think I'm supposed to have one more called Star Tracker. Um, I don't have a sheet telling me what the form is or anything about it, but let's have a listen to it. All right, there it is. Um, Andy, do you want to tell us anything in the chat room about Star Tracker um, before I roll it? It's going to take a second for those of you who are watching the archive. I've got to wait. Uh, for a little lag time. Come on, Andy. Jump in there. Tell me what I need to know. Star Tracker, dude. It's a very simple A and B. Thank you. Very profound, Andy. <laughs> You know, I want to add something. We started a, a section on our forum uh, where people show pictures and their equipment lists from their home studios. And while some of the guys and ladies, uh, you know, frankly, I don't know if any ladies have posted their studios yet, to be honest. 
but uh, it, it's taken off. The forum is very, very popular. And uh, I would say probably 90% or more of the studios that we're seeing in there are really quite basic. Um, usually like an iMac uh, or a PowerBook uh, or MacBook Pro, I mean. Um, and, you know, it's more about the software, a couple of good microphones, very little outboard in many cases. Most people working in the box using plugins. Um, not a tremendous amount of acoustic treatment. Um, uh, Russell, Russell built like a real studio. Excuse me, a real studio with, you know, like uh, probably walls within walls and lots of acoustic treatment. And if I remember correctly, um, Andy's studio has some stuff in it, but, but not a, none of them are like, wow, you know, no wonder those guys get so many forwards and so many pieces signed and so many pieces placed. It's not about the studio in most cases. I've seen some pictures where I go, really, that's it? A lot of people just have like a little mini one octave keyboard sitting in front of a Mac laptop with like a $500 pair of monitors, a couple pieces of foam slapped on the wall, maybe one on the ceiling above them. Um, couple of, you know, hundred to $300 microphones. Sometimes people splurge, maybe have a 500 to $1,000 microphone, but it's really remarkable when you go look at the pictures of the studios and hear the music coming out of them, quite remarkable. All right, um, so now we are going to listen to Star Tracker, which is A-B-A-B. -A -B. Come on. Maybe we're not. No, we're not. It won't play. There it goes.
button, didn't he? Um, Bell-like guitar tones, pretty post-rock sounding, I would say. Um, celestial, right? You know, I mean, the name of it kind of gives it away. Star Tracker. I mean, you could just see an expanse of sky with a million stars up there. Beautiful. Um, so let's do a little Q&A. Um, we've got like 15 minutes left. Um, really proud of you guys. And thanks for taking the time to send this stuff in. Couldn't have done the show without you. Um, yep, a lot of plus ones for the boys. Thank you, guys. That's right. Uh, Andy just went to um, the Grand Canyon. And uh, as I was listening to this, I for had forgotten that you went to the Grand Canyon. But, you know, I remember being, I think, on the South Rim one night with my family many years ago. And we just spread out a blanket in the parking lot and just looked up at the sky for like two hours. It was amazing how many shooting stars there are out there. This would have been a great soundtrack to that. Um, could you imagine going to your local planetarium? And, uh, you know, one of those domed planetariums where the sky moves above you and hearing Morgan Freeman's voice um, with this underneath it would be awesome. Morgan Freeman, how much does that guy work? Not worth, work. I'm sure he's worth plenty. Um, all right. Uh, any questions from you guys? Uh, and feel free to ask them directly of the gentlemen uh, in the room, um, Andy and Keith and Russell, because I think they're all still in the chat room. Guitar question. Maybe the forum, what's the financial line between a crap electric guitar and something usable? Is it 300, 500? Something that stays in tune is dependable. I can't speak for everybody, but I can tell you, I, I've got a strap made in Mexico that Fender actually gave me many years ago, like 24 years ago, maybe. Uh, and I've had big time guitar players play my strap, tell me they love it. Um, and I don't even know how much it costs, but I think it's around four or 500 bucks. Um, question to Andy, Keith and Russell, how much time do you spend brainstorming an instrumental cue before you start composing it? Great question, Brittany. How much time do you spend brainstorming it before you start composing it? Waiting for an answer. Uh, Keith says to Brittany, it just kind of happens when I sit down. I try not to overthink it. It's a, a really important point. Don't overthink it, because if you overthink it, you'll never get off the dime and start it. How do you determine your form? Do you start out thinking four bars intro, eight bars for section A? How do you figure it out? Also a great question. Um, nobody picked up an answer on that. I let the music dictate the structure. That's from Keith. Um, spend more time listening to references, making a list of possibles for sounds. Then like Keith was saying, I just usually end up using the first thing I play. Great. Um, whoa, the questions are coming in so fast I can't keep up. They're like scrolling off the page. Um, 
Russell says, McGaith uh, must have asked, how long does it usually take you to do a queue? And Russell says, three to six hours, depending on how complicated it is. That's pretty much the range that I hear from most of our taxi members that get a lot of forwards and a lot of deals, three to six hours. Um, How do you keep your cues organized um, after you create them? Uh, that was from Adriana. That was a great question. I have a feeling that Keith has a really good suggestion for that. Go ahead, Keith. Plug away. You deserve it, dude. Composer catalog. Yep. Keith makes some awesome software that uh, lets you organize all this stuff. Uh, somebody asked, it, it's already off the screen, but somebody asked, do you ever start out with one genre and then find out, uh, you know, after you start playing that you end up creating something in another genre from that? You can buy Composer Catalog at ComposerCatalog.com, I believe, right? If you look in our forum on Keith's signature on the Taxi Forum at forums.taxi.com, he's got a link to it from his um, page. Um, somebody asked earlier, do you guys ever take stuff out when you get to the end of it? Uh, and Russell says, I always take stuff out after I've made the cue too busy. Then magically something appears, just like uh, cutting a sculpture out of a rock. So true. Subtracting is probably better than adding in most cases. Um, question about melody. Where did it go? I would love to see if... Uh, forgive me if this question has been discussed. How do you come up with an instrumental melody for genres where the vocal is crucial to the vibe? Um, I'm trying to think of a good example where something where the vocal would be uh, crucial to the vibe. Um, I don't know. I'll let you guys take that one. Uh, Oh, here's a great question I want to address. Um, could you talk about the cue descriptions and the listings uh, being new? I'm trying to read them and get a better idea of what Taxi and Library are looking for. When it says not limited to, how far away from listing examples can you get? The most important phrase is on a playlist with or would appeal to fans of. So often, Taxi members, sometimes people that are members for years, still go, nope, I don't have anything that sounds like that's Selena Gomez song, um, or whatever the reference is. Um, and so often they're not looking for something that sounds just like that. On occasion, they're looking for a replacement. They do want something that sounds a lot like that. And it's a little dangerous to even go there. So I'm not even gonna talk about it because um, it could get into um, you know, copyright infringement and litigation. So I'm not gonna encourage that in any way, shape or form, but they're looking for stuff that would, you know, like if it's an EDM track, would this be an EDM track that would appeal to a young EDM loving audience in a club while they're dancing? Does it have a similar tempo, a similar happy party 
fun, optimistic, woo, vibe to it. Um, so when it says, you know, that they're not just looking for, not just limited to, that's what it means. Don't just limit yourself to the three examples. Also, listen to the three examples. It's probably a range of things. We try and give you a range. We can't put 20 examples in there to show you how broad the range is. And frankly, I got to let you know, a lot of times, this is probably the biggest pain in the butt and the thing that causes us to do the most work under this roof and possibly causes the most consternation amongst our members, which is so often music supervisors or library owners or record executives, uh, more so in the film and TV world, they have a hard time describing something. Um, you know, there are music supervisors out there that have never played a note of music, and they may not know their genres. They know a song. They may be able to say, you know, I like something like that, but they will call it one, uh, call it a genre that's not really the genre. And we have to call them back or email them and say, do you want the reference, what you're talking about in the reference, or do you want the genre that you said the reference was? Because it's, <laughs> it's not both of those things. They're different. And, and the tricky part is they don't want a lot of back and forth with us. Um, frankly, a lot of other people would just go, ah, screw it, I'll send them whatever. You know, I think I've got it dialed in, I'll send them something. But we really try to get it dialed in and we've got to walk a fine line between feeling like we're a pain in the butt to them. God, you guys have a lot of questions. But we strive so hard to give you guys the right information so that you can actually hit the nail on the head. And I got to tell you, more often than not, the end result is people from these companies or music supervisors going, wow, you guys really nailed it. When they see our listings versus the briefs that go out to publishers um, from Hollywood music supervisors, people are always shocked at the detail. Um, so we're kind of proud of that. I'm proud of my staff for working that hard on it. Um, okay, whoa, I got to get back to this Frederick question, which now is gone. Uh, here it is, new question. If a lead list reference tracks that sound alike, I think he means a, a brief or a listing, um, but differs from the description of the supervisor wants, should I focus on the description and do my own thing or should I consider the style of the reference track the most? Without mentioning specifics, I noticed this in a lead that I'm going for. Grateful for any advice. It's impossible to know. That, that's what I just described a minute ago. Um, you never know, are, you know, is the supervisor or library owner, do they want something that sounds like the reference um, or do they want something that sounds like what they're saying they want? And, and you'd be shocked. I mean, just blown out of your socks how many people really don't know. And you got to give them some credit because they're usually, um, in the case of like producers working on shows, they're visual people. They're not necessarily uh, musical people. So they watch a scene and they don't think in terms of genre. They think in terms of, um, this is a chasing, so I want something that's going to push the adrenaline level way up. So it's going to be fast and hard, uh, but they don't think in terms of, you know, I, I want uh, this genre or that genre. They just think they may, if they're lucky, 
think of a song that they've heard in the past and frequently if they're older it may be a dated reference because they're not listening to a lot of new trendy stuff so uh, that's that you know what they reference is that one thing that they know uh, so hopefully we get the information from a supervisor that really knows versus sometimes um, show producers or show runners don't really know all right, uh, let me skip down and get some fresher questions because a lot of stuff has already gone off the screen. Um, how many submissions will you forward per listing? It depends. It really depends. We don't hit a limit and go, okay, well, we've got enough good stuff, so we're not going to send any of the other good stuff. Um, James Kevin wants to know what I listen to out of the office. Frankly, if you get in my car, you're mostly going to find the radio set to classical music because it chills me out. Um, and I don't listen to music at home uh, unless I'm watching a TV and, and studying how it's used. Uh, Publish one says, Sherry, I found no one listens beyond 10 seconds. So if you have a longer intro, better be great. Absolutely. You got to grab them right away. Uh, when in doubt with the intro and it feels long or takes away from the queue, just get to the meat and potatoes. Absolutely. Frankly, you don't even have to have an intro. Nobody's going to sit there and go, wow, this is a fascinating intro. I think I'll stick around for 30 seconds to see where it goes. You know, it, it could literally be boom, bitty, boom, bitty, boom, boom. You're right in there or just boom right in there. Um, composers, how do you name your tracks? Um, I'm going to skip that one because we've covered that one in so many episodes. Name your track. I'll just give you a quickie. Name your track so that when somebody looks at the title, they've got a pretty good idea of what it is. Don't get artsy-fartsy and confuse them and don't name it after your cat or dog. And for God's sake, please don't put mix number one and a date in your title. Nothing will turn them on faster. Or mix one, V2, um, you know, uh, mix minus vocal, none of that technical stuff in there. Don't label it or title it like you would for your purposes so you can find it. Title it like it's going to attract their eye. Oh, you know, like uh, that last thing that we heard from um, Andy was called Star Tracker. I kind of knew what that was going to sound like before we ever played it. And when we heard it, yeah, it sounded celestial. Um, all right, one or two more, and then we are out of here. Um, have to head out. This was a great show. We'll be re-watching it. Thanks. Uh, I think it was a really important show. A lot of stuff that people need to know about this. Um, Michael, can you do another show like this, maybe with some hip-hop and urban cues, lots of requests for hip-hop? Yeah, that's a good idea. We do get, there are a ton. You know why? Because hip-hop is the music of the last 20 years. There's so much hip-hop out there, and it's not going away. It's changing a little bit in its style. East Coast, West Coast, more modern stuff, more melodic stuff. Um, but hip-hop is still really important, and a lot of the shows want to sound current and relevant, so they use hip-hop. So, yeah. Um, all right. Let's call it a day. Thank you very much to Russell, um, Keith, and Andy for sending this stuff in and taking the time to put that information together. Um, really, really, really 
well done you guys and a, a big help to me big help to your fellow members so thank you all for watching um i have no idea what i'm doing next week frankly i hadn't even thought that far ahead but we will be back with another exciting episode there's a cue of taxi tv live bye you guys yeah more clapping that was for you guys for sending your stuff in thanks guys